Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse number 21, reading down through verse number 33, is where we will be this morning. Starting in verse number 21, if you're there, if you don't have a Bible, there's going to be the scripture on the screen behind me. So the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, thought you, got, you thought husbands are going to get away. Husbands, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. That's a big, big prescription. And gave himself for it. That he might sanctify, that means set it apart, and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Okay, a lot there, right? A lot that's challenging, a lot that we probably don't live up to, but I have a, a real serious question before we get into all that. I have a real serious question for you, and it is this. Have you ever had a hard, a hard time deciding what to eat? You've ever had a hard time deciding what to eat? I feel like I always have a hard time deciding what to eat. It's like you know you're hungry sometimes, and so you look into the fridge, and it's just like there's this, this, this long stare into the abyss where you're looking into the fridge and you can't find anything good to eat. Or everything looks good to eat. You look into the pantry and you just stare off into the pantry and you're thinking to yourself, I'm so hungry, but I don't know what to eat. Has that ever happened to any of you guys? You just don't know what to eat or everything looks good that you look at. Everything in the pantry looks good. Everything in the fridge looks good. So you can't decide. So what do you do? You make a complex question even more complex, uh, complex by asking your spouse, well, hey, what do you want to eat? And they have the same question. They say, well, I don't know. What do you want to eat? And you guys say, well, I don't know. What do you want to eat? And so one of you has to decide what we're going to eat. And so you look at the, the, whatever your other spouse is, you look in the fridge and you say, well, we have tons of food, but you always say the same thing. There's nothing to eat. You know, I don't know what there is to eat. You look in the pantry, there's nothing here. The pantry could be full of food, and you say, well, there's nothing here. <laughs> we always do that. Oh, I don't know what to eat. There's, we don't have anything. And so what do you say? Well, where can we go to eat? Where are we going to eat at? Let's go out to eat. And so you start talking about different restaurants that you want to go to. And maybe your spouse says, well, how about McDonald's? And you say, no, 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 let's go to Chick-fil-A. And he says, okay, let's go to Chick-fil-A. And then you say, oh, I don't really want to go to Chick-fil-A. Let's go to pizza. You say, okay, let's go to pizza. And then he says, no, I don't want to go to pizza. Let's go to McDonald's. And you have this long conversation and you can't really make up your mind about where you want to eat because he has his own preferences and desires and she has her own preferences and desires on where she wants to eat. And so you kind of have this, you have a complex question that's just made so hard because nobody can decide what they want to eat. And I know I'm not the only one who has this experience because I saw a, a quick video on, 
on this same experience that a couple has. And I want to show you guys this video, kind of illustrate the point I'm getting at. But the point is I want to illustrate is that we all have preferences, desires, and needs. And sometimes it can be difficult to navigate those needs and desires in a relationship, in a marriage. It can be hard to navigate those desires and needs. And the truth is, is that we all come into marriage with expectations, needs, wants, desires, and experiences. We all come into our relationships and our marriage with all of these different things. She comes into her, uh, she comes into the marriage with expectations, needs, wants, desires, and experiences. He comes into it with the same thing. And so you have at this marriage, you have two people that are supposed to be one together, but they're coming in with these totally different perspectives. And when it, it's not just food that sometimes is the problem. It's, it's a lot of different things in marriage where we can kind of butt heads because we all are coming from a different place. Place. We have preferences we'd like them to adopt. Some of these preconceptions are based on uh, the values that uh, and habits that we've observed from relationships in our past, maybe uh, from our parents. Most of the times it comes from our parents. Whatever preferences that we have and expectations coming into marriage, most of that is given to us from our parents or from the relationships that we uh, saw modeled in our life. And so we come into our relationships with these things. We have expectations of what we want him or her to be like. We have needs that we think that he is going to fulfill. He's, he's going to meet. And uh, she has uh, expectations of what you think is, he's going to do for you. And so we, we come into this relationship and there's almost sometimes this tug of war because I have these expectations of her and she has these expectations of me and I need her to meet these expectations. And in fact, it's kind of part of the bargain when we came, uh, came into this relationship is that she was going to meet these things and she was going to be this person. She was going to do these things for me. And then she, on the other hand, she came into this relationship and said, well, I feel like there's all these things that when you said I do, you agreed to do all these things for me, to meet my expectations, to meet my hopes, my dreams, my wants, my desires, to, to be a certain person for me. And so let me illustrate it to you this way. I have two boxes, my handy dandy boxes this morning, and uh, it's his box and her box. And we come into marriage with a box. We all come into marriage with a box. And if you're, you've been married for a while, it doesn't matter because you still have this box. If you're married for a year, 10 years, or 100 years, you have this box if you're married. You have a box. If you're a guy, you have his box. And his box is full of expectations. You have expectations. You have wants. You have needs. You have more expectations. Oh, these are experiences. You have desires. You have your box of all these things. She has her box of all these things, and it's, it's, it's the same. Expectations, needs, desires, wants, experiences. And the bargain is, or so we think, and so we've been taught, the bargain is, is that the moment we get married, well, then I give to her all of the expectations. I give her my box of stuff that I want her to meet for me, I want her to be for me, and I want her to do for me and to uh, uh, give to me. I give this to her. That's the bargain. You take this. Here's my box of expectations. Now you're supposed to meet these for me. This is the bargain, we think, when we get into a marriage and a relationship. I have all these things. You need to meet this for me because that's what we said I do about. That's what we said I do for. So that the understood idea is you make these for me. And then her idea is, well, once we got married, he's supposed to meet all of my needs. And so we, we say, you need to take my box. 
We say, hey, here's my box. Meet my needs, meet my expectations, meet my uh, hopes, desires, and dreams. And so this is how we come into uh, relationships, how we come into marriage. And it's how we uh, sometimes, even after we've been married for a long time, we still have these two boxes full of expectations. And what happens is, and the reason this is such a bad way to look at relationships and marriage, is because what's going to happen is, is he's not going to be able to meet all of your expectations. He's not going to be able to be everything that you want him to be. She is not going to meet all of your needs, wants, and desires. And so when that happens, when we have this box of expectations that we want her to meet and we say, you need to meet these things, she, she is inevitably not going to meet all of your expectations, needs, wants, and desires. So what's that, what that's going to cause is frustration. You're going to be frustrated because you think, you're thinking to yourself, we went into this relationship. We've been in this relationship for five or 10 or 15 years or four years or three years or two years. How come you're not meeting all of these things that I want you to meet? And it's going to cause mistrust. It's going to cause, uh, it's going to cause uh, frustration. It's going to cause resentment. You're going to resent her for not meeting all of your needs. You're, not, you're going to mistrust him because he isn't being the person that you want him to be, that you expect him to be. She's not being the person you expect him to be. There's going to be times where you expected him to do the dishes and he's not going to do the dishes. You're going to expect him to come home at a certain time and be with the family at a certain time. You're going to expect her to meet the needs that you want. And so when these needs aren't being met, when these expectations aren't being met, it brings it breeds mistrust, it breeds, uh, it breeds dishonesty, it, it breeds hurt and resentment. You question how much they care when they aren't meeting your expectations, when they aren't doing for you what you thought they were supposed to do and what you thought they agreed to do. You start to doubt their love for you. You begin to withhold yourself from each other. And this creates a downward spiral in a relationship and in a marriage. And sometimes this downward spiral doesn't actually manifest itself and cause problems until years into the relationship. You get five years in the relationship, 10 years in the relationship, and there's this continual downward spiral because she has never met the expectations you had for her. He never met the expectations, wants, desires, hopes, dreams that you had for him. This is what is called a consumer relationship. This is a horrible format. It's a horrible model for any marriage. This is called a consumer relationship because a consumer relationship and this model of a relationship is all about me. It's all about here's my stuff and this is what I want you to do for me. Take this. This is the bargain. This is what you said I do for because I, I, I thought you were going to do all this stuff for me. And he has the same idea. It's all about the consumer. And it's all about, it's all about me becoming someone who is taking from you, who I want from you, who I expect things from you. This is a horrible, horrible model. It's all about me in this model. The consumer and a, uh, a consumer relationship is a corrosive relationship. A consumer relationship, if you're taking notes this morning, is a corrosive relationship because a consumer relationship is all about me. And when a relationship is all about me, it will corrode the relationship over time. Sometimes it takes longer than others, but it will corrode the relationship over time. So what's the answer? If a consumer relationship is a corrosive relationship... How do we fix it? Ephesians 5 gives us the answer. Look at verse number 21. Ephesians 5, verse number 21. Very clear, very simple to understand. Not easy, I didn't say easy, but very simple to understand. This is what the Apostle Paul tells us. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So in this verse, the Apostle Paul introduces a profound concept for anybody in a relationship. 
Instead of asserting control over the other, instead of demanding that your expectations be met, instead of viewing marriage as a bargain or a transaction, instead of having a consumer relationship, you submit yourself one to another. This is very, very countercultural. This is, this is something that we just, this grates against our human nature. Paul is positing one simple, life-changing, life-giving truth to meet needs instead of making demands. You see this, you see the, the, the shift here. He says you need to meet, de, uh, meet needs instead of making demands. The, the, this, this fundamentally shifts and fundamentally changes the, 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 the focus of your relationship. It, it shifts everything in your marriage. So no longer is it all about me giving to you my expectations, my hopes, my dreams. It's all about me setting aside my box and saying, okay, I'm going to take up your box. You see the shift? See, one way of looking at it is the consumer relationship is I come into this relationship, I'm in this marriage, here, Here's all of my stuff that I want you to be, do for me. The Apostle Paul says, you have it the total opposite. What you need to do is say, I'm going to set aside all of my expectations, needs, wants, desires, experience. I'm going to set this aside. I'm going to submit myself to you. And I'm going to take up all the things that you need. You guys with me this morning? When both people do this, when both parties, when the husband does this and when the wife does this, you have two people submitting to each other, setting aside their box of experiences, their box of expectations, setting that aside, submitting to the other person and saying, I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to set aside everything that I want from you, everything that I expect from you, and I will come to you and meet your needs. I will submit myself to you. Paul is saying this is what your marriage ought to look like, where you're submitting yourself to each other. You will be the happiest, not when you seek to consume, but when you seek to complement. Not when you seek to compete, but when you seek to complete. When you seek to complete the other person. Not when you're seeking to compete with them. Well, it's because it becomes a, a consumer relationship becomes a competition. Because you're trying to get him to meet your needs, and you're trying to get her to meet your needs, and you have this competition of this tug of war almost. Of you're trying to get him to meet your needs and his needs, and there's this tug of war, there's this competition. Paul is saying, lay aside your own needs and wants and expectations. Meet his, meet hers. This becomes a complementary, a completing kind of relationship. This is what... What the Apostle Paul, this is what Scripture is giving us. He's giving, they're giving us a prescription of how we ought to live in marriage. What I constantly have to tell myself is that I am not in this marriage to consume. What I have to constantly tell myself when I'm in this relationship with Amanda is I am not in this marriage to consume. I am not in this to get what I want from her, to take what I can from her, to get what I deserve from her, to extract what I can from her. I am here to give to her. I am here to give to you. That ought to be our intent in a relationship. I'm here to give to you, to meet your needs, to be for you everything that God has called me to be. That ought to be our intent. See, that is a Christ-like marriage. We are not consumers. We are completers. I am not here to consume everything I can from her. I'm here to complete her, to complement her so that we can be who God wants us to be. The essence of marriage is not to provide for yourself, but to provide for each other. I heard one pastor say that marriage ought to be a race to the bottom, not to the top. Oof, that hurts, right? 
We don't like hearing something like that. I get it. This concept is countercultural. Culture says you need to get. You need to take. You need to make sure your needs are uh, being met. That's what culture tells us. This is, this is, a, this is fundamentally a countercultural idea that God is giving us. This concept is also humbling. I'll own this. I'll, I'll totally own this concept. This concept is humbling. It will take me, when the Bible says, submit to the other person. That's a humbling experience. Me saying, I'm going to come under you. I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to meet your expectations. I'm going to be for you everything that you need me to be. This concept is humbling. When we hear that we need to submit, what happens? Our back straightens, right? We hear that we need to our back straightens. Our hands clench up. Our brows furrow. We think, I will never submit to her. Pastor, if you only knew half of what she is like, you would say, you should leave. We, on the other hand, you might say, you don't know what he is like, Pastor. Submit to him, back straight. Brows furrowed. Submit to him. I will never do that. This is a, this is a humbling concept. It's going to take us to say, okay, I'm going to be like Jesus to you. I'm going to set aside everything that I want, everything I want you to be and everything I expect from you, and I will serve you. You see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the great love chapter, but it tells us something that we probably won't like to hear. It says, charity, love, suffereth long. Charity is patient. Love, it, love is patient and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, Do, doth not behave itself unseemly. Watch this next phrase. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinking no evil. Seeketh not her own. You know what, you know what the Bible is saying about charity? The essence of love is that it doesn't seek its own. One of the marquee characteristics of love is that it doesn't seek its own. Love doesn't seek its own self-interests. Love doesn't demand its own expectations be met. Love doesn't consume, it completes. It commits, it complements, it submits. Everything love does, it doesn't do for itself, it does for others. The only idea that love has, the only thing that love is, is to be something for the other person. You will be the happiest when this kind of love is the focus of your relationship. You will be the happiest when you're focused on your spouse. You won't just experience happiness, you'll experience longevity. You see, when I'm in this relationship, not, not so that I consume, but so that I can complete, so that I can complement, that is going to breed longevity in that relationship. Love breeds longevity. Love breeds longevity. And we all know this is true. So I had a car years ago when... I, I was in college, I, I was transitioning uh, from college to out of college. I, me and my brother got this car. And uh, we bought it from my older brother, who was, who was getting married. He needed a new car, so he sold us his little Honda Civic uh, for dirt cheap. I think it was like 300 bucks. Ran. It was a great car. Uh, but me and my little brother, uh, we, we were still learning about life and responsibility and things like that. And so uh, we, we didn't give any up care on the, uh, on the Honda that we had. So we owned that little Honda for three years. Three years. <laughs> Not once did we change the oil in that sucker. Not once did we change the oil in that thing. Come to find out the oil pan was actually the stripped. You couldn't even take the oil pan off. You needed like professional help. So we just never paid the money. We never got the oil changed. And, and so this thing just broke down one day. It just, it just puked on us one day. It just, and then we were on our way to work. It just died on us one day because we didn't take care of this thing. Never got an oil change. And we'd, we'd argue over who had to put gas in it next. And so, I mean, it's just, it was just a bad, it was a mess. That's not what, that, that's, that's a horrible way to own a car. Just so you guys know. You, get, you got every 3,000 miles, change the oil, okay? Change the oil. That's just what you do. 
So contrast that with a car show that we went to maybe a year or a year and a half ago. These guys, with their in the, we went to this car show. It was on the fairgrounds up in, uh, off of uh, Cal Oaks, Cal Oaks area, Calmia. Uh, there was a car show there at the sports park. And we see all these cars, hundreds of cars, coming into this, uh, driving onto the, uh, the baseball field, uh, field there. And we see all these old cars from the from the, uh, the 70s and the 80s and the 60s and the 50s and the 30s, all the way back, I mean, almost 70 years old, some of these cars. And, and we talk to some of the drivers. We walk around, take pictures of some of these cars. And beautiful cars from 70 years ago. We talk to the owners, and they, you could tell they, they just baby their car. Some of them put signs out that say, please don't touch our car. Please don't touch the interior of the car. And we talk to some of these guys, and they say, yeah, we just, the only time we ever drive this this car is when we are going to a car show and the only time we, uh, the only thing that we do is that I'm retired so I just invest all of my time into my car and I take care of this old car. There's like maybe 9,000, 10,000 maybe tops 20,000 miles on this old car. It's in their original miles and we talk to these guys at the car show and I'm telling you these cars are amazing and they're 70 years old. Why? Why are they 70 years old and they're still running? Because these guys they obsessed over their car. They obsessed. They spent all their time and all their money and all their blood, sweat, and tears on keeping this car up to date and running. Contrasted with my experience with my car. We owned it for three years. Never changed the oil one time. Didn't last that long. What kind of marriage do you want? Do you want the marriage where it's all about you? You're just going to run it and you're going to try to get everything out of it that you can. Or do you want the marriage where you're obsessed over it? You're working at it. You're investing into it. You're loving her. You're loving him. It's not about you. It's not about your time. Not about your money. Not about your job. Not about your things. It's all about her. You know what that's going to breed? It's going to breed longevity. You're going to be able to have that relationship for decades instead of three years. You're going to be able to have that relationship uh, for decades and have happiness for decades, not have this flash-in-the-pan kind of relationship. Oh, we fell out of love. No, 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 no. You had a consumer relationship. You didn't fall out of love. You had a consumer relationship. God's saying, have a completer relationship. Have a complementarian relationship in your marriage. This is, what will, uh, this is what will rekindle the happiest kind of relationship when you fix your focus on each other. Say in your relationship, say in your marriage as a husband, I'm going to fix my focus on her. I'm going to fix my focus on him. I'm going to fix my focus on his needs, on his expectations, on her needs, on what I can be for her. That's the kind of relationship we need to have. So fix your focus. Fix your focus on her. Fix your focus on him. Fix your focus on their box, not your box, not your box of expectations and stuff. See this, Jesus giving a new commandment in John chapter 13, verse number 34. A new commandment I give unto you, Jesus says, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that also love one another. You see, Jesus is telling you, love one another. Don't love yourself, love one another. Don't be focused on yourself, focus on her. Fix your focus. When I fix my focus on the other, like Jesus commanded, it creates gratitude. You know, I, I was studying for this sermon this past week, and I started to focus, uh, fix my focus on, on my wife, Amanda. And you know, I started to realize when I fixed my focus on her, I started thinking about her needs and everything she does. You know, I started to realize that she does things every single day and every single week that I have not one time said thank you for. Not once. I, I got in the car. When I got done writing that sermon, I said to my wife, you know what? I figured out I'm, a, I'm the horrible husband. <laughs> I'm like the worst husband you could possibly have. I told her this. 
And it's true. But we're all like that. How many times does your spouse do things day in and day out, and it's just expected? It's just taken, taken, uh, taken granted for. We do, we, they do it so many times we say, well, it's just what they do. It's just what I expect to be done. When I come home, I expect the meal to be out. When I, when I, come, uh, when, when I have this, I expect my husband to do this for me. And we, and, but you know what happens when I fo- fix my focus on the other person? Instead of myself, I look at everything they do, and I'm filled with gratitude. I'm filled with thankfulness. I look at everything she does. I say, wow, you know what? God has blessed me. You're not going to be focused on all the problems. You're not going to be focused on all the ways he doesn't fulfill me. He doesn't satisfy me. You're not going to be focused on the way that all the things that she doesn't do for me, all the meals that haven't been cooked, all the meals that were cooked and didn't taste good. You're going to be focused on him. You're going to be focused on her, and you're going to be filled with thankfulness. You're going to be filled with gratitude. Gratitude is the gateway to growth. Write that down. Gratitude is the gateway to growth. If you want to grow in your relationship, you want to grow in your marriage, have gratitude. When was the last time you said thank you for that thing your spouse does that you have come to expect to be done? Fix your focus on her needs, on his needs. Husbands, your wife needs love and sacrifice. Focus on her needs. She needs love and sacrifice. You see this Ephesians chapter 5, the verses we read, verse number 25 and 28. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. The Apostle Paul tells us, commands us even, what our wives need, love and sacrifice. And he tells the husbands, he commands the husbands, love your wife sacrifice for her, meet her needs as if those needs were your own. Meet her needs as if those were your own. Sacrifice for her. What does love and sacrifice look for? It It looks like affection. Your wife shouldn't be starving for physical or emotional affection. And maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not a hugger. Learn. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a hold hands kind of guy. Become that kind of guy. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm just not comfortable showing affection, which only makes it all the more meaningful when you do. Become that person. One author said that affection ought to be the environment of the relationship. The environment of the relationship ought to be affection, physical and emotional affection for your wife. Show affection for your wife. Be, uh, be exemplary when it comes to affection. Have conversation. Talk about her interests. You know, as guys, we love talking about ourselves. We could go on talking about ourselves all day long. If you had an hour to talk about yourself, you would fill up every single minute of that hour talking about yourself and all the, the things that you like about yourself all the time. Take time to talk about her, to talk with her. Talk about her interests and concerns. Take time to talk. You used to enjoy it. Your wife never stopped. Spend time talking about her. Go on a date and just talk. Spend time uh, talking to her. Commitment. She needs to know that you are committed to your family. Engage in family responsibilities. Commit yourself to your kids. I get it. We want to come home and from work and we want to chill and do our own thing. And this is where Paul's admonition of sacrifice comes in. Engage in family responsibilities. Have meals together. Go to the park together. Play games together. Pray together. Read the Bible together. Read books together. Your wife needs love and sacrifice. There should be no doubt in her mind that there isn't anything you wouldn't do for her or sacrifice for her. Not your phone, not your TV, not your job, not your money, not your friends, not even your own comfort. 
There should be no doubt in her mind that you would give up anything, sacrifice all things for her as Jesus sacrificed for you. Wives, your husbands need respect and honor. Set aside what you want and give him what he needs. He, your husband needs respect and honor. You see this in verse number 22 and verse number 33. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That means respect. Respect. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. He needs respect and honor. Paul is saying that your husband needs respect and honor. Paul doesn't say that your husband always deserves it because most of the time he probably doesn't. Most of the time, I don't deserve respect and honor. Most of the time, your, probably, your husband probably doesn't deserve respect and honor. Paul doesn't say, he doesn't qualify that statement. He says, respect and honor your husband. Admiration. He needs your admiration. He needs you to build him up, not tear him down. Few things hurt your spouse more than when you belittle him or cut him down. Imagine your husband has a car. His fuel is admiration. Without it, he can't run. Constantly be looking for some way to build him up instead of breaking him down. That's what he needs is admiration. Physical fulfillment. Like he needs air, your husband needs physical fulfillment. Like he needs water to breathe, he needs physical fulfillment. I'll leave it at that. Companionship. Take interest in the things he likes. It's the coolest thing when I see a wife enjoy the same things that her husband enjoys. This is so cool. My my. my, uh, my my uh, sister-in-law does this very, very well. My brother likes the Oregon Ducks. And, um, and, and she kind of, well, I'm sure she probably doesn't care about the Oregon Ducks. This is a football team. It's a college football team. And, but you know what she does? She gets all the clothes, the Oregon Ducks clothes. She gets all the Oregon Ducks clothes for her kids. And so on game day or whenever they're going around in town, all the kids have Oregon Ducks shirt and Oregon Ducks paraphernalia on. And she has Oregon Ducks stuff on. If you were to ask her, do you like the Oregon Ducks? She'd probably be like, it's a football. It's a football team. I don't care about the Oregon Ducks. But my husband likes it, and so she, she wants to be the companion to him that he needs. That is a beautiful thing. That's an amazing thing in a relationship. My wife does this so well. Is uh, When we got married, uh, I enjoy ping pong. I don't know how many of you guys enjoy ping pong or play ping pong. My wife, uh, she, I don't know that she ever played ping pong before we got married, but we were on our honeymoon, and she learned to play ping pong. And she got real good at it, and eventually she started beating me, which is when we stopped playing ping pong. And... <laughs> So, but she does this in a lot of different areas. We do this in rock climbing and in food. I enjoy good food. My wife could, you know, she'd eat the same thing for the rest of her life and be cool with it. Me, I want to I try good food. And uh, I, wanna, I like books. We have a library house. I love reading books. I love collecting books. I like politics. And, uh, and so my wife is trying to get into in politics. And that's a great thing for a wife to get into a companionship with her husband. God has commanded husbands to sacrifice in love and wives to submit in honor. And watch what this dynamic creates. Watch what happens when both are doing what Paul is saying here, when God, what God is telling us. Paul tells us what happens when we set aside our own box and meet the others. Look at verse number 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. You know what happens when, when the wife sets aside her box of expectations and stuff that she expects him to be, and when he sets aside his box of expectations and stuff she expects him to be, and they both try to meet each other's needs and expectations, you know what's going to happen? You know what's going to create? These two people will become one. 
These two people will create oneness. These two will be one flesh. They'll have unity in the relationship. They'll have oneness in the relationship. And oneness is the goal in marriage. Paul's saying that when we meet each other's needs, when we choose to be completers, not consumers, when we fix our focus off of ourselves and on the other, this is when we experience oneness. That is when we live in unity. This, that is when two become one. A marriage that is centered around completing each other will create oneness. When two people submit uh, to each other, that is when oneness is created. Imagine having a relationship where she honors and respects you. Imagine a relationship where he sacrifices and loves you above even his own self. Imagine a, where, a, a marriage where you experience happiness that isn't just momentary. Imagine a marriage where the two of you complement and complete each other in a way that is fulfilling. Imagine a marriage where your kids can look at you and say, one day I want to have a relationship like that. Imagine a marriage where your kids could say, I want to have a husband that loves me and sacrifices for me like my dad sacrifices for my mom. Imagine a marriage where your daughter could say, I want a husband that respects and honors and loves and sacrifices for me like my daddy does, like my mommy does. Imagine a marriage like that. That is the marriage that God has prescribed. And he says, you can have. That's a beautiful thing. That's an amazing thing. When two people come together and they live in unity and oneness, and you see the, the bottom line of all of this, what's undergirding, what's undergirding all of this, this entire concept is Jesus Christ. Look at this in verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives. Why? Just because? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He is the model. See this? Marriage is a portrait of Christ's love. You can have a relationship that is fulfilling and happy, yes. But Paul says that you can have a marriage that looks like the relationship Jesus has with the church. That looks like that is a portrait of Christ's love for the church. He loved the church. He died for the church. He sacrificed for the church. He gave everything for the church. He set aside his own desires, his own needs, his own agenda, and shed his own blood for the church. You see this in Acts chapter 20, verse number 28, where uh, Jesus is, he sheds his blood. He purchased this, this, the church with his own blood. That's what Jesus did for the church. And in response to what Jesus did for the church, the church honors and uh, sacrifices. The church uh, respects. Jesus Christ. It sets aside its own dreams and its own expectations and its own hopes and makes Christ their own. That's the dynamic that, that undergirds this entire concept is that Jesus is the one who loves the church and sacrificed for it. The church is the one who loves and honors uh, Jesus Christ. That's what our marriage ought to look like. That's what our relationships ought to look like. It ought to be a portrait of Jesus Christ's love for the church and his sacrifice for the church. Paul is saying that you can have a marriage that looks like that. You can have a marriage that when people look at you, they say, that looks like Jesus's love. That looks like Jesus' sacrifice. That looks like when, when my mommy and daddy are together, they remind me of Jesus. When you look at your wife, you say, Jesus acted like that. When you look at your husband, you say, he loves me. He sacrifices for me just like the Jesus I read about in the book of Matthew. Just like the Jesus on the cross. You know what Jesus did when he was on earth? You see, he had these, he was a human like us. He had needs like us. He had desires. He had wants. You see him talk about this. Where he said, I only do what the Father wants me to do. 
My desire is to, to fulfill the, the Father's wishes. Jesus came to this earth. He had needs. He had physical desires. He had wants. When he was tempted before uh, Satan in the wilderness for 40 days, the Satan came to him and he said, why don't you turn this food or why don't you turn this rock into food and you can eat that food because Jesus was hungry. He had physical needs. He had physical desires. He had his own box, just like we do. You know what Jesus did? He said, I'm going to take all of my deeds, all of my expectations, all of my desires, all of my wants, everything that I want in this life, I'm going to set it aside. I'm going to come to mankind. And what they need from me, the need, the expectation, what's in the box of mankind, what they need from me is this. That is what mankind needs from me. They must have this. And the only way I can be this for them is if I set aside everything I want. You see, Jesus has to do what we have to do in marriage. Only what this box, what our box was for Jesus, it wasn't just a box of expectations. It, it was a cross. You see, we have it easy in our marriage. We say, okay, I'm going to meet her. I'm going to set aside all my needs and wants and desires. I'm going to be for her like Jesus Christ. We don't have to do this. We don't have to sacrifice our, our life like Jesus did. Jesus sacrificed himself. He sacrificed everything. He shed his own blood. That was what we needed. That's what he did. That's who he became for us. And this morning, Paul is saying, I want you to be like that. I want you to be like that. I want you to model that. What I did for you, I want you to do for your spouse. And when that happens... That is a beautiful thing. That is a rare thing. But Jesus says, you can do that. 